The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. If we haven't met before, my name's Garrison. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, good to see all of you. If you're just hopping in with us, we're in the back half of uh, the series we've been doing. It's a vision series where we're just laying out who we want to be as a church, which is as you've seen and have heard many times if you spent any amount of time with us, we exist to be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. And we've been breaking that down kind of phrase by phrase. And this is our second week talking about family. So if you've got a Bible, you can go 1 John chapter 1. We'll get there in just a second. I'd love to pray for us as we open God's Word together this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful to get to be here. We thank you um, for the grace of your Son. Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life for us, and that's why we get to be here. Let us not forget that. Spirit, we pray that you would move in us that you would use your word to shape us and grow us more into your image, Lord. Pray all in your name, Jesus. Amen. What if I told you that there's one thing in our church that when you're new, it is really weird. But if you stick, along, stick around long enough, it tends to be one of, if not the most compelling thing about us. Uh, what if I told you that there's a practice that we think is mostly absent in the modern evangelical church, but biblically, it's a vital part of the way that the church was and is supposed to relate to one another? What if I told you that this might be the one thing that you're not doing that's keeping you from experiencing deep relationships in the church? And what if I told you that this also might be, if you get it and do it, a vital key in fighting your sin in a way that can lead you to victory? Um, what I'm talking about is the ancient practice of confession, confessing sin, and not just confessing sin to God, although that's good and you should do that, but confessing sin to other believers. Now, last week we said that the first aspect of being family is sharing our lives together. And this morning we're going to get into the second and equally important part, and that's sharing our hearts, sharing our hearts with one another. And the primary way that we do that is by confessing our sin. So what I'd love to do this morning, very simple, I just want to unpack what confession is and kind of show you that this isn't something that we came up with. This isn't our idea. We, don't, we didn't just get in a room and say, hey, this is a good idea, even though it is. It's something that comes from the Bible, and it's something intended for all Christians and for the church. So go 1 John chapter 1, 
John is going to address our need for confession and kind of lay out the invitation uh, to confession for us. And the phrase that he's going to use for it is living in the light, living in the light. That's what we'll see. So let's walk through it together and I'll pull out a few things. First John 1, 5. He writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. I'm going to pause right there. So at the core of uh, 1 John, it's John the Apostle. He's one of the disciples writing a letter. And, and really his big picture idea is he's, he's saying, here are the markers of what it means to be a Christian. Like if you're trying to figure out, am I in Christ? This is what it looks like. And if you want to do a more of a deep dive, get more background, we did a series on it a couple of years ago. It's our second ever series. Um, I'd encourage you to check it out. But he, he starts off this section, what we're going to read today, by saying this message is from God. It's from God himself. It's not from me. It's not, it's not something that the disciples came up with. It's not a good idea, even though it is, but it's something that God has said. It's a command, and it should be taken with the appropriate weight that a command from God should have. It keeps going, verse 5. It says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So he says God is light. Everything that we're about to read is first and foremost grounded in the character of God, that God is light. Now, when the Bible talks about this theme of, of light versus darkness when it comes to God, when it comes to us and, and following Jesus in the Christian life, it's really talking about two things. One is talking about truth or revelation, intellectual light versus darkness. So light uh, would be truth. And darkness would be ignorance or error. So God is light means God is truth. He's ultimate reality. He's the ultimate authority on life and of himself and how we're supposed to live in the world. And darkness would be lies. It'd be untruths, false realities. So it can one mean truth, but it can also mean morality or purity. So light would be things like holiness, what's pure and set apart, godly. And darkness would be evil, sin, things that are contrary to the purposes of God. So when John here says that God is light and in him is no darkness, he means that God dwells in truth and holiness. And where he is, sin, evil, lies, they can't exist because he lives in the light. And that means for us, as the people of God, we should want to and are called to be where God is, in the light, which means we, we should be a people of truth and a people of holiness. And we live to be in the light with him. That's our aim and our goal. But I think we all know we don't get that right all the time. And John is going to lay out three ways that we don't, three ways we don't live in the light, but instead walk in darkness. We'll see it in verse six. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So in this church, there's a false teaching going around called Gnosticism. And, and really what it is, is, is the false teachers and those who believe it said that your body is completely separate from your spirit. They're not related to one another. So you can do whatever you want with your body, even as a Christian. Give it over to whatever sin, pleasure, desire, and you can still be holy before God. They don't relate to one another. Basically, they said sin was not a big deal. They totally missed the reality that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Now, the way that you would probably see this play out today is by saying that you're a Christian, that you're in a relationship with God, but also saying there's no need for the cross. 
because sin is sort of an outdated, uh, maybe even oppressive thing that uh, institutions like the church or leaders have used uh, to guilt and shame people to do what they want. It comes from an agenda, but we know that's not true. Sin is real, and sin is a big deal. Because sin, if you boil it down, at its core, it's the rejection of God. It's us saying that our way is better than God. And that can look like breaking the rules, right? That can look overt, but there's more to it than that. It's putting anything into the place of God. So that can look like breaking the rules and not doing the good things, but it can also be the bad things. So John says, okay, first of all, if you say you have fellowship with God, say I'm a Christian, but your life and your actions say the opposite. Say that sin is not a big deal. I can do whatever you, I want. He says you're lying. You don't actually get it at all. You're not in the light where God is. You're in darkness. We're lying. So that's the first lie. But we got two more. This, um, you can skip to verse 8. It's not in verse 7. Verse 8. He says, we, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So this one's a little bit of a shift. He's getting at the, the false claim that we don't have a sinful nature. The Bible is clear on this. We aren't simply sinners because we sin, right? We're sinners, or we, we sin because we're sinners, Apart from God, we're not just good people that sometimes make mistakes. We're not just good people that have tough circumstances or make poor decisions every once in a while. At our core, in our hearts, we're twisted away from God. We're bent away from Him. We don't love Him apart from His work. We're corrupt and dead in sin, and dead people can't clean themselves up. Dead people need someone to make them alive. And that, thankfully, is exactly what Jesus does. But if we say that we're not sinful, then we are lying. Let's go to verse 10. We'll see the last one real fast. Verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John moves out to our actions the action of sinning, the action of living in the darkness. So let me, let me sum it up real fast. Here are the three lies, three ways we reject being in the light with God. He says, one, we lie if we walk in sin. We lie if we walk in sin. Two, we lie if we say we're not sinful. We lie if we say we're not sinful. And we just saw we lie if we say we've never walked in sin. We lie if we say we've never walked in sin. The problem is we are sinful, though. The Bible is clear on that, and sin is a big deal. We will sin. We have sin. We have sinned. So what's the alternative? Well, according to John, it's walking in the light. It's repenting of our sin, confessing our sin, seeking holy lives. That's what confession is. Confessing sin is agreeing with God that we have sin and admitting that we're wrong. Confessing sin is agreeing with God that we've sinned, that we are sinful, and admitting that we are wrong. So if we lie, if we walk in sin, well, we confess that. If we lie, if we say we're not sin we, sinful, we confess that to God and to one another too. And if we lie, if we say we've never walked in sin, we confess that as well. Now, you could get that. And still be like, but why? 
But why? This, is, this reasoning is what you would call a negative, right? Like, I, I know why I shouldn't. I don't want to become a liar. And I don't want uh, to call God a liar either. Those aren't great options. But what about the positive, right? What are the positive reasons? And John gives those two. He's going to give us three reasons in verse 7 and 9 as to why we should confess our sin. What I want to do is I want to go quick through two of them and spend a good bit of chunk of time on the third. Look back at verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First reason is because God calls us to it. God calls us to it. Or more simply, God just tells us to. God told me so. The text is incredibly clear what we're called to do. We're told by God in his word to confess our sins. We see it other places too. Here's uh, from James 5.16. He says, uh, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's the most simple reason I'll give you this morning. It's that the Bible and God call us to do it. He commands us, which I know for some of us, that's like a bad word. Command is not a nice word, right? And that's because we're afraid of legalism or uh, working your way to God trying to earn his love and earn your own righteousness. And we should certainly be aware of that bend in our hearts. But we also have to be careful not to treat it like the boogeyman. Because I think for some of us, we've used the fear of legalism to tempt us to disobedience or even lead us to disobedience. You, you have to remember why the rules are there, why the commands are there. They're there for our good. They're there for our flourishing. We don't throw out the commands and rules and institutes of God because we're Christians now. In fact, if you keep reading this letter from John, he'll say over and over again, you want to know how you can tell if you're a Christian? If you understand the love of God? If you obey him. That's who knows uh, God's love. If you keep reading the New Testament, you start realizing the scriptures are much more concerned with our lack of holiness than they are about the threat of legalism. Not that the threat of legalism isn't there, but in the order of priority, our lack of holiness is a much bigger deal. At some point, we have to say, as a Christian, God commands me to do something, I'm going to do it. Because he loves me and I trust him. So we confess because God calls us to it. Here's the second one. We confess to avoid sin. We confess to avoid sin. This is 1 John 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is right after what we just read about living the light. He says, I wrote that so that you wouldn't sin. This is a huge part of confession that I think we miss. Confessing sin isn't just about confessing the sin. It's not about being authentic. It's about holiness. It's about avoiding and fighting your sin. It's a means by which we grow in holiness you follow the commands of Scripture, you grow in holiness. I love how Augustine says it. He says, the confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. The confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. Confession is about fighting sin. It's about growing more and more like Jesus as we get our sin into the light. 
So if you keep confessing the same sin in the same way over and over again, you might need to ask yourself, am I confessing the way that the Bible calls me to it? Now, now let me connect the dots because I'm not trying to guilt and shame you. What I'm trying to say is confession goes hand in hand with repentance. That's what true confession looks like and leads to. That's what the Bible is calling us to. And this is very practical. This is practical theology. There's a practical reality that when you confess your sin to another person, you are more likely to repent. Why? Because there's another person involved. There's accountability. There's help. And also you have blind spots. You have blind spots. You don't know the deep recesses of your heart. You know some of them, but you don't know all of them. Um, a way I like to talk about this, I thought about it this morning. Uh, I'm slightly colorblind. Stop. Um, <laughs> don't be, and don't come up to me afterwards and be like one of those people, can you see this? Do you know what I'm wearing? It's like, yeah, I know what you're wearing. Like, it's red and green, but it's not like I don't know what Santa's wearing, you know? But like, I'm aware, but it's like light pastel type of colors. When I, uh, when we first got married, um, it was like one of the first times that I was ever like preaching. And I said, hey, Cole, can you help me find my brown shirt? Can't find my brown shirt. And she was like, you don't own a brown shirt. I know what you have. And she finally finds a shirt and she's like, is this the one you're talking about? I'm like, yes, it is. It was this shirt. <laughs> this was the shirt. Don't know. I know it's green now, but at the time I didn't. And that's how this works. That's how blind spots work. You can't see them. You need somebody to show you what you are missing. So a, a really practical application. One, if you're, if you're not in a group, if you've been hanging out with us, you're not in a group yet, get in a group. You need people in your life to help you with this. You need accountability. You need people that'll love you and point out your sin and weaknesses. But two, if you are in a group, confess your sin. If you are, keep confessing your sin. And even further, take, take, it, uh, take it to the next level. Pre-confess your sin. Like, what, what are you talking about? Pre-confess my sin. This is how sin a lot of times works. We have patterns in our life where we respond to certain situations, certain emotions with sinful actions or sinful thoughts. So once you know what those patterns are, you can talk about it before it happens. You can talk about it in the midst of it, i.e. something happens at work. Something happens with your kid. You get triggered. You have a really hard conversation with your spouse and you know what your next thought or action is going to be because you've done it. So you pick up the phone and you call somebody or you shoot a text to somebody or you shoot a message in your group chat and you say, hey, everyone, this just happened. And I know myself. I know where I'm headed with this. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Will you follow up with me? That's beautiful. That's getting your sin into the light. And that's what pre-confession is. It's a beautiful way to grow more dependent on the gospel and your community. So we confess to avoid sin. Let's get to the last one. This is really our focus. Last one is we confess to gain fellowship. We confess to gain fellowship. Look back at, uh, at verse 7. I don't have a slide, so you can just look in your own Bible. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So, so fellowship, as defined by Jesus in the Bible, it's all the things that Tim talked about last week. 
It's doing life together, sharing our lives. Um, the word that we get here for fellowship, the, the one of the first places we actually see it is in Acts 2, which is that popular passage where we get, you know, what the church is supposed to be. The word is koinonia, and it doesn't mean like my church friends. It's not, that's not what it means. It means life together, deep communion and fellowship, interwoven, interconnected lives. And part of the process to get there is by sharing life together, creating rhythms, reorienting your life and your schedule so you can make time for one another. But you also have to do this. You have to do this. You have to share your heart too, or else it won't matter. It won't matter how much time you spend together because it'll be surface level relationships. They won't know you and you won't know them and you won't feel connected. And I would guess that for some of us, that's our exact problem with our group. That's our exact problem maybe with your past community or church is that you didn't know them. You spent a lot of time with them though. And if you are not spending a lot of time with them, I would suggest that would be the next step. You will feel much better. But if you already are, this might be the problem. What if the actual issue is that they only know 80% of you? They only know 80% of you. What if you only know 80% of them? When we confess our sin, we gain fellowship with one another. We get to know people. Not surface level churchy relationships, but deep fellowship. And I get it, that's, that's not an easy task. It is a vulnerable thing to open your heart up, to actually let someone know who you are in the deep recesses of your soul. But when we do it, we gain fellowship. We belong, right? That's what we're looking for, is it not? Somewhere to belong, to become known. And I would argue it's actually part of God's design for flourishing for all of us. We were all, you were made to be fully known and fully loved. You were made to be fully known and fully loved, and you can't be either without confessing your sin. You can't. Why? Because sin, among other things that we've talked about today, it's the great disconnector in our lives. It's the reason for all of your relational breakdowns, all of your relational struggles, and it's the catalyst that launches us into hiding. And if you're hiding, you can't be known. If you hold anything back, and we all know this. If you hold anything back, there will always be something in your head that says what? If they only knew that. If they only knew. So you hold back. You can't be known like that. As one pastor said, to be 99% known is to be unknown. To be 99% known is to be unknown, and you cannot and will not be fully loved without being known first. When we confess our sin, we gain fellowship with God and others, togetherness, interwoven lives where we belong somewhere. Um, for me, uh, I became a Christian a couple weeks before I went to college, which was a really good time to become a Christian for me. Um, I had no church background. I had no idea what I was doing. And it was actually a, a really fun time um, getting to figure it out. But it was also a really hard time. Because sin was just, it was wrecking my life. It was running rampant, especially with sexual sin and pornography. And it was crushing out all of the newfound joy that I had in Christ. And, and I was going to church. I probably went to church for about a year. And I finally got into a group very similar to how we do community groups. And I remember very clearly the first time that I confessed my sin, my first night. 
It was not a fun time. It was a good time, but it was ugly. I showed up, all college guys sat on the college guy couch. We all know that. Like found it in a dump in a monsoon, just molded. I mean, gross. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and I'm sitting there and I let it rip. I opened up. I know it's a weird way to say it, but it's true. It just opened up. And I even think back, and I'm like, at times now, and I'm like, was that an overshare? I don't know. I probably. But seriously, that night changed the trajectory of my life. It did. It's not an overstatement. That's not me trying to be dramatic. It changed the trajectory of my life uh, because I stuck with it. And those guys stuck with me. And they confessed their sin to me too. And more guys came in and did the same thing. And we, then we just did that for years. And they became my family. I, I knew none of them before I walked in the door that night. None of them. And years later, I still uh, am tight with those guys. They're still my family and my safe place. Some of them are in the room today. And they're the people that I trust most in the world. And none of that is possible without confessing my sin. None of it. It doesn't happen. You cannot have true fellowship while you walk in the darkness. But if we confess our sin, if we confess that we're wrong, we agree with God and walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and others. Confession is ultimately saying I'm wrong. It's agreeing with God saying to him and to others, I'm wrong, I sinned, I need grace, which directly impacts our fellowship with both. With God, we say, I agree with you about my sin. I'm right, you're wrong. With others, we say, I was wrong. I was chasing joy down this path. Please step in and help me. Help me walk this out. It has to be both of those. We can't be comfortable just confessing in our groups or to other people because sin, first and foremost, affects God and our relationship with him. So we have to go to him first and foremost, but you can't stop there. You cannot stop with just confessing to God, which is the big temptation to say things like, well, I've already prayed and confessed to God. Why do I need to keep going? Well, one, everything I just said, just record it and run it, run it again. But two, if you've genuinely confessed to God, confessed your sin to God, why would you not confess to another person, right? If you've genuinely gone to God, who is just, perfect, holy, righteous, king of the universe, and said, Lord of heaven and earth, I have rebelled against you. I've rejected you. I've taken you off the throne. I've placed myself on the throne. That should be scary. That should be a scary thing to do. Not that we're not going to be forgiven, right? Because of the grace of Jesus. But still, know who you're talking to. If you're afraid of confessing your sins to another person but also claim to have confessed to God, I would encourage you to maybe second-guess yourself and maybe see that you have not confessed to God, but really your version of God. I think many times, if we find ourselves there, we've confessed to ourselves, and we've sought forgiveness from ourselves, we've sought to pacify our own conscience, but actually haven't gone before the God of the universe to seek forgiveness and to confess. And a great step of repentance is actually to confess that on top of everything else. We can, when we confess our sin, when we share our heart, we gain fellowship, we avoid sin.
And we get to do it because God calls us to it. But we also get to do it because Jesus has made it possible. It's not possible apart from him. It's too difficult. Go back um, to, to 1 John 2, verse 1. I want to show you something here. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. In order to believe the gospel, you have to first realize your sin and realize that apart from God's grace, you have no hope. You are a sinner and one that cannot save yourself. And when you accept that, you get the gospel, you get grace. So part of that is God's already outed you. He's already outed you as a sinner. You've already confirmed, yes, I am sinful and I have the covering of God's righteousness and love. So therefore, we have nothing to worry about in confessing our sin. We're just coming together as a bunch of other sinners saved by grace and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I thought. This is what I've done. Apart from the gospel, this is impossible. It's too much. I'm not doing it. It's too scary. I'm not letting anyone in. But because of the gospel, it spurs us on to do this. We can confess it because of him. Now, I'd love to just end um, by sort of putting together what Tim and I both have talked about um, the last two, two weeks with, um, with family and kind of try to sum it up. Um, so if you, if you would go to 1 Peter 2, um, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It'll actually be behind me, unlike a bunch of them today. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says you're a family. You've been made a family by God. I think uh, another way to say family is to say my people. Right, And we all have our people. So, so for me, apart from Jesus, my people are my wife, Cole, hopefully our son in a couple days, hopefully today, ready to roll. Um, <laughs> my parents, her parents, those are who my, my people are. That's who I'm willing to share life with, sacrifice for, change my lifestyle for. You all, you seem great, but I, I maybe not. If it's not easy, right? It's not easy if we don't click. I don't feel any responsibility to give up my time, my energy, my effort for you because we're not people. When, uh, when I got married, my life changed because we became people. What the scriptures are saying and what we just read is that all of what I just said changes when Jesus shows up on the scene. He makes us all a people. He makes us family. And the way that I and the way that you would have thought about your people, it now applies to the people of God. It now applies to the church. All the people in the room who, um, who claim Christ are now our people. So if you want to be the type of person that showing up on Sunday is optional, if you want to be the type of person that showing up to group is optional, 
Confessing your sin is optional. Spending time together is optional. That is certainly your right. But you have to know that you are not going to be able to engage and have the type of community that Jesus intended to create. If we can't count on you, if we can't count on one another to show up, to participate, to be honest, much less invest your time, your energy, your talents, and participate, we're just not going to be able to move very far together. But if we are willing to do it, and we do show up, and we do lay it on the line for one another, and we're willing to share our life and our hearts together, then we really can experience something beautiful, something unique. It's what Jesus intended for us, for his bride. It's a counter-cultural family that's committed to one another at all costs, because that's exactly the type of commitment and love that Jesus shows us. Let me pray for us. Father God, man, we're, we're so grateful and humbled um, by what you've done for us. Lord, we, I think we settle for less than what you have intended for us. Lord, we, we all want to have our people. We all want to be known and loved. And you make a way for that to be possible. Jesus, we thank you that you forgive us. In your word, you say that you cleanse us when we confess our sins. God, for many of us, it's still scary, though. So we pray that the gospel would first and foremost become more true in our hearts. That we would see that all of our sin, past, present, and future, is already known by you and has been forgiven. Yes, you died for it all. Spirit, move in our hearts. Help us to believe that. That we would actually be able to step into the light with you, with one another. God, form us more and more into the people that you called us to be people that share life together, that share our hearts together, that live integrated lives with one another. We need your help. Pray it all in your name, Jesus.